In Corley v. State, 2022, ARC App 127, the Arkansas Court of Appeals affirmed a conviction of second-degree domestic battery and domestic assault on a family member and rejected challenges to allowing the victim to remain in the courtroom. Other appellate challenges to closing arguments and ordering sentences to run consecutively were unavailing as well. Judge Brown explained, Appellate Andre Corley was found guilty by a Faulkner County Circuit Court jury of second-degree domestic battering and aggravated assault on a family or household member. The jury imposed a sentence of 10 years and 6 years incarceration, respectively. The jury also found Corley guilty of committing both offenses in the presence of a child and added an additional 10 years as a sentencing enhancement. The circuit court ordered Corley to serve his sentences consecutively. On appeal, Corley argues the circuit court, one, violated his Sixth Amendment right to a fair trial by denying his request to exclude Tamika Corley, the victim, from the courtroom, two, abused its discretion by permitting the state to make an improper closing argument, and three, abused its discretion by ordering his sentences to run consecutively. We affirm. End of quote. There was no error in allowing the victim to remain in the courtroom because it is within the trial court's discretion and here no prejudice was shown. Quote, Corley first argues that the circuit court violated his Sixth Amendment right to a fair trial when it denied his request to excuse Tamika from the courtroom until she testified or, in the alternative, required the state to call her as its first witness. With certain exceptions not applicable here, Arkansas Rule of Evidence 615 provides in relevant part that at the request of a party, the court shall order witnesses excluded so that they cannot hear the testimony of other witnesses, and it may make the order on its own motion. Rule 615 addresses trial witnesses. However, the trial presence of a victim is governed by Arkansas Rule of Evidence 616, which provides that victims shall have the right to be present during any hearing, deposition, or trial of the offense. We have said that the victim of the crime has a right, pursuant to Rule 616, to be present during the trial notwithstanding Rule 615. Rule 616 purports to leave no discretion to the trial court. Both the United States Constitution and the Arkansas Constitution guarantee a defendant the right to a fair trial. Additionally, Arkansas Code Annotated Section 1690-1103A provides that a victim may be present unless the court determines that the victim's exclusion is necessary to protect the defendant's right to a fair trial. Thus, the circuit court must sequester a victim, despite Rule 616, if it determines that the victim's presence would put the defendant's constitutional right to a fair trial in jeopardy. Because the fairness of a defendant's trial is a constitutional issue, our review of this issue is de novo. End of quote. The defendant could have, but did not, ask that the victim be called as the first witness. His failure to do so did not fare well with his present argument. Second, there was no showing of prejudice. Quote, Corley has not demonstrated how he was deprived of his constitutional right to a fair trial by Tamika's presence during the testimony of the preceding witnesses. While he contends that Tamika could have tailored her testimony to conform to what she heard from other witnesses, 
Corley points to no specific testimony provided by Tamika or inconsistencies in her testimony that could have been influenced by her presence during the testimony of other witnesses. Further, Corley was allowed to cross-examine Tamika about her testimony. Importantly, Tamika was the victim. Corley has not shown, beyond bare assertions, however her presence during the testimony of other witnesses jeopardized his right to a fair trial when the material parts of her testimony were based on her personal knowledge. Prejudice is not assumed from the circuit court's failure to sequester a witness. An appellate must do more than allege prejudice. He must demonstrate it. Again, Corley's bare allegations are insufficient to demonstrate prejudice. Next, we find no merit to Corley's assertion that the circuit court denied his compromise request that Tamika be called as the state's first witness, which he contends would have protected his constitutional right to a fair trial and simultaneously respected Tamika's right to be present during all aspects of the trial. Despite Corley's assertion that he requested as a compromise that the state call Tamika as its first witness, our review reveals no such request. The only reference to this particular issue was in regard to Corley's request to exclude Tamika from the courtroom, especially if she's not the first witness. This fails to amount to a request that the victim be called to testify first. The failure to raise or to develop this related but separate argument below bars consideration of the issue on appeal. Moreover, not only did Corley fail to request that Tamika be called as the state's first witness, but the circuit court never ruled on the issue. The failure to obtain a ruling below precludes appellate review. End of quote. Another argument was that the trial court should have disallowed the state's closing arguments reference to defendant not attending his wife after her injuries. Quote, Corley's defense at trial and the basis for his directed verdict motion, as well as his assertion during closing, was that the state failed to prove that he was the cause of any physical injury to Tamika. In rebuttal, the state responded that Corley's actions following Tamika's injuries, his absence and lack of concern for his wife's health, were evidence of his guilt. The state is permitted in rebuttal to comment on matters that were discussed or invited by a defendant's closing argument. Corley denied that he was guilty of assault and battery, thereby inviting the state to prove otherwise. Moreover, the rebuttal was based on reasonable inferences that could be drawn from the facts and evidence of the case, which is within the parameters of allowable rebuttal argument. Additionally, the statements were not foreign to the charges against Corley. We find no abuse of discretion by the circuit courts overruling Corley's objection to the state's closing argument. As for Corley's assertion that he was not by his wife's side during her recovery, because of a no-contact order prohibiting him from contacting her, the record does not support the argument. The no-contact order was entered on March 15, 2019, nearly two months after the January 22nd incident during which Tamika sustained her injuries. The approximately six weeks it took for Tamika to recover and return to work had passed by the time the no-contact order was entered. Therefore, there was no order prohibiting Corley from aiding Tamika in her recovery. End of quote. Finally, defendant argued the trial court erred in having the sentence run consecutively instead of concurrently. Quote, Corley argues, 
because the sentencing court in this case did not explain why he should serve his sentences consecutively, his sentences should be vacated and this case should be remanded for resentencing. However, as stated above, the circuit court was not required to explain its reasons for running his sentences consecutively. End of quote. End of decision.